Last weekend, last Saturday night, I got commissioned. I got given an assignment, which has not happened to me since we were in Michigan, and, and I had a lead pastor over me, and he would tell me what to preach on, right? And so last Saturday night, I was planning on diving into some other things starting this weekend, and uh, Matt Lute, Pastor Matt, who gave a great message last week on the fear of the Lord, uh, how many of you enjoyed that message, by the way? That was awesome. And Saturday night, when it was over, we hung out, prayed for some people for a while, and, and Matt was here, and I was talking to him, and he goes, I feel like the Lord was telling me this week, you're supposed to preach on the fear of the Lord, like a part two. And I was like, oh, I, I wasn't feeling that in the moment. I had not been thinking about that, but I was like, I'll pray into that. And as I did pray into that, the Lord confirmed that, and uh, whew, this is a very, it's a divine appointment tonight. I realized that uh, the very last sermon I preached before COVID hit was, was called The Fear, and it was about fear, the fear of the Lord, and it was a two-part series, and then uh, COVID hit, and the world shut down, and, and I did not preach the second part, and I shifted, and we moved on, and I looked up, and I already had the sermon written somehow, um, and it was about, I didn't have it titled, but it was about loving, learning to love the fear of the Lord, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about the love of of the fear of God. And I want to start with a question tonight. What is your greatest fear? I know we like to focus on Jesus and him making fear go away. Part of the reason you can't get delivered from your fear is because you just keep doing the positive, put a smile on it, Christian thing and shoving it down and not addressing it. You have to name it to be able to be delivered from it. Amen. So think about it for just a minute. What is your greatest fear? While you're thinking about that, I'll give you an example from my life. When I was about eight years old, um, I had a fear. In fact, I think I had a phobia. And I looked it up, and it's called electorophobia. Do you know what that was? This was my greatest fear in life at that time, about eight years old. Do you know what electorophobia is? It's the fear of chickens. All right? <laughs> So my grandparents had a farm and they had a bunch of chickens and uh, they had a couple roosters. And I mean, roosters are just kind of mean anyways, but I think one of these roosters, knowing what I know now and what we've talked about over the last few months, I swear this, I know we're not supposed to swear, but I swear this rooster was demon possessed, okay? I'm eight years old. It probably knew my calling and destiny, probably had me marked out, you know? As a young man, after God's heart, and my grandparents would send us out to get the eggs, and I'd go to get the eggs, and uh, I would, I mean, as soon as they say, hey, why don't you go get some eggs? And I noticed the other kids were like, okay, grandma, but I was one of the younger kids, so I was little, and I, I, the fear would grip me. I'd be like, I don't want to go get eggs, you know? And I'd go out there, and I'd be in the barn, and it was always creepily quiet in there. The coop was like part of the barn. It's dark. I'd sneak in, and I'd be reaching it. And about the time my hand would be going under the hen, I'd look over, and it's like movie scene, door open, light coming through, dun, 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 the rooster. And I'm like, ah, and it would just manifest, and it would just spurs up, and I'd just be running out of there, you know. And so I had electorophobia. And I want to encourage you, church, I've been delivered of electorophobia. Amen? Praise God. So if you invite me to your house and you have chickens, I'm not afraid of your rooster. And uh, I don't believe in getting physical with people, but I will get physical with your rooster and I will punt it across your yard. All right? But I'm not afraid of it. 
So what's your greatest fear? Perhaps you, you have, like some of my kids, nyctophobia, which is the fear of the dark. Perhaps you have acrophobia. Do you know what acrophobia is? No. Close. But it's the fear of heights. Arachnophobia. What's that? There it is. Arachnophobia, right? I don't fear those, but I treat them like roosters. And I think when Jesus said, you'll trample on snakes and scorpions, it wasn't an exhaustive list and spiders fit into that. And so I will stomp the spiders in Jesus name. Okay. How about colorophobia? You know what that is? The fear of clowns. I used to not be afraid of clowns until I was, uh, we were in Georgetown, Ohio one night. It was after the Brown County Fair Parade. We went to the fair and uh, we were leaving the, the fairgrounds. And this is like at 10 p.m. at night. We drive past the courthouse square. There's nobody there. And I kid you not, my wife was there. She can attest. There is a full guy, a guy dressed in full clown suit on stilts and there is a clown walking across like where the street at the fairgrounds at the courthouse and just looks at me and I'm like oh my goodness so I had to get delivered to that (laughs) that fear perhaps you have pogonophobia the fear of beards I hope Miss Tasha doesn't have that that's her husband has a giant beard or phobophobia you know what that is the fear of phobias. So hope that's, hope that's not coming on you as we're talking about it. What is your greatest fear? This is a question I feel like the Lord wants me to ask you tonight. What if your greatest fear was being away from God? And this is how I was thinking about it. I'm not even talking about for eternity. What if your greatest fear was being away from God today. And you go to sleep, and you wake up tomorrow, and that's your greatest fear. I don't want to be away from you, God, today. How many of you know you would not have to worry about eternity if your greatest fear was, I don't want to be away from God today? I am praying that that fear tonight would take root in your heart like a seed, that it would grow, that its roots would get all entangled in your heart and it would consume you. I pray that when you walk in here to worship week after week, if there's any, if you've drifted in any sense, if you walk in and go, man, I, ooh, When you come around people who are really close to God, sometimes you realize, oh, I've drifted a bit. And I pray that if that ever happens here, when you come into church, fear comes on you. And it's the fear of, I'm not even away. I'm just not as close as I used to be. That fear. Because our worship times are a time for you to go, I'm not as close. And you draw near. Pastor Matt gave an incredible message last week, and he taught us that the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God, it's being afraid of being away from him. That's true fear of the Lord. And he read Exodus 20, verse 20, where Moses said to the people, don't be afraid 
God has come to test you so the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the hatred of evil, Proverbs says. Why is it the hatred of evil? Because you hate, you hate anything that will come between you and him. And Proverbs also says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's a fountain of life. Why is that? Because when you fear being away from God and you live your life close in nearness, you are staying connected to the source of all life. And you, have, you constantly have this fountain of life flowing in you, flowing through you. His name is Jesus, his Holy Spirit, just filling you, filling you, filling you, filling you, filling you with life. I ministered to a man one time years ago, and we get in. He goes, I just need some prayer. I'm like, okay, what do you need prayer about? And this is the surface thing he said. He's like, I just, I'm not very emotional anymore. I just, I don't cry. You know, I, I hear you talking about being emotional and faith and all this. And, I, you know, I kind of want that. And I used to be, I'm just not that way. And I'm just not emotional. And I just don't have the feeling. I'm like, okay, let's, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. Start asking questions. Start asking questions. I find out he's been looking at pornography. And he has, there's an addiction there. He does it often. And I'm like, there's the problem. You have to realize that is deadening your heart. It's not only stealing intimacy between you and your wife. It's stealing intimacy between you and God. And that's why. So when you get near to your wife or you get near to God, to be able to cope with that inside, you deaden your own heart. You are shutting your own heart down, the feeling. And the only thing that you're getting feeling from is the pornography. And so that's why you keep going to that. So you need to repent. We'll do some deliverance here, get you free of that. And then as you stay away from that and you learn how to draw near again emotionally to your wife and to God, I'm telling you that emotion's gonna come. Psalm 97, this is not my notes. This is for some people here tonight. Psalm 97 says, light is sown, sown like a seed for the upright in heart, for the righteous, for the upright in heart. Light is sown for the upright in heart. Light is sown for the righteous. Joy for the upright in heart. That's what it says. Light is sown for the righteous. Joy for the upright in heart. It's sown like seeds. And God gave me a revelation out of that one time. Feelings follow obedience. I just, I don't know what's wrong. I feel far from God. I don't know if I did anything wrong. I just feel far. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't feel like I love my wife. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel it. Stop letting your, feelings are important. They're like a thermostat though. Don't let them be your truth. They're just telling you what the temperature is. Be obedient. Follow truth. And here's what I'm telling you the word of God says. Do you know when he gave me that revelation? I had a friend who had cheated on his wife and it had become known and he was devastated. And, and we were meeting and, and he, he was telling me, I just don't love her. I don't feel like I love her. It's like he'd been giving his heart to another woman for a long time, like a year or two. And so that was found out. He repented. He was staying away from that. But he's like, I just don't feel it anymore. And I'm thinking, uh-huh, yeah, that's, yeah. And you know what I told him? I said, well, man, feelings follow obedience. So just do the right thing 
act like you love her and treat her like you love her. And I'm telling you, those feelings will come back. Now, when I told him that, I was about 25 years old. And I walked out of that, I prayed for him. I walked out of that meeting and I was like, did I just lie? <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, God. <laughs> it sounded really good. But I didn't know if it's true. And I prayed about it. I was like, Lord, would you show me? Is that true? And this is like the next day. I'm praying, Lord, would you show me? I open up Psalm 97. Light is sown for the righteous, joy for the upright in heart. You do what's right, you're sowing seeds of joy in your life. Feelings follow obedience. And the Lord's like, that was Holy Spirit, son. That wasn't you just being nice. That was Holy Spirit. And so that's a word for some people here tonight. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Do you know what sowing tears in tears is? Doing the right thing when you're weeping and you don't feel like it. <sighs> and that obedience is planting seeds in your life and your tears. God loves obedience when you don't feel like it way more than when you feel like it. He puts favor on it. So your tears, the suffering you're going through, doing the right thing, even when you don't feel like it, even when it's hard, those tears water those seeds. And there's going to come a season when you're going to be reaping with songs of, of joy. And you're so glad that you stuck it out. You're so glad that you persevered. I have, I have a friend that's going through a lot, and I, I encourage him this way. I said, perseverance is a superpower, man, in this life. Just keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep getting back up. Because Galatians 6, 9 says, you will, promise of God alert, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So, the fear of God is not being afraid of him, it's fear of being away from him. Isaiah 11, verse 3 says this about Jesus. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his Roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And it's, it describes the sevenfold spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. It has seven aspects to the Holy Spirit's personality. That's in Revelation. It, he calls it the sevenfold spirit. So the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's six. And the spirit of Jesus is the seventh. And listen to this. And he will delight... In the fear of the Lord. Who is this man? This wonderful man who reigns forever. Who is this man? That has, is, is full of the, he is the Holy Spirit incarnate. Who is this man? Who bears this sevenfold spirit. And it describes him as he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is an aspect. And notice it doesn't say he will delight in the spirit of wisdom. He will delight in the understanding or the counsel, the might, the knowledge. He will delight in himself. No, he will delight in the fear of God. That's what Jesus delighted in. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing and I only say what I hear him saying. Only, ever. Which means... Anytime he had a decision to make, anytime he was tempted, anytime he thought about saying something, anytime he thought about doing something, he went, what do you want? What do you want? He probably didn't look up and do this because they would have thought he was weird. But in his heart, he probably was going, dad, what do you think? Dad, hmm, 
My younger brothers are being idiots and sinning. I don't sin. I really want to correct them right now. Dad, don't do it, son. <laughs> Grace, okay. Right? He had to grow up. He, can you imagine? It said, he, he said, I only do what I see him doing, and I only say what I hear him saying. His whole life. Do you realize that? Do you realize that's why he never sinned? Why? What am I getting at? Because Jesus' greatest fear was being away from the Father today. Being away from the Father right now, all the time. That was Jesus' greatest fear. That was Jesus' only fear. If you truly fear God, you'll fear nothing else. Because you're just like, Dad, what do you want? Yeah, share your faith. Well, that's radical Islamic. They're going to kill me. Yeah, give your life. Okay. If you know it's dad. If you know it's dad. If you fear God. That's why I want to be like Gideon. If he says hard things, I'm okay doing hard things. I just want to know it's you. I don't want to suffer unnecessarily. Right? But if it's you, I will do it. If I know it's you, it's done. That's fear of the Lord. That's why Psalm 90.12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In light of eternity, what, what is the wise way to live? Think about that. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What's the beginning of wisdom again, church? The fear of the Lord. Teach us to number our days. The Bible says, think about the fact that your life is brief. I prophesied over a lady a few weeks ago right down here, and the Lord just gave me stuff for her, and I was like, when I was flowing. She's like, she wanted to call me to call her because she was concerned about some things I prayed. And I said, oh, God's giving you a pure of heart. He's going to purify your heart, and you're going to see God. You, and I said, you will see God. And she wanted, to, she wanted to, me to call her, and I called her, and she goes, you said this, and I'm being kind of scared. Does that mean I'm going to die soon? Because if you see God, it says you're going to die. And I'm like, no, no. I was like, pure in heart, you'll see God everywhere. You'll see him in the flowers. You'll see him in the birds and the bees and the trees and the, your friends. And you just be great. That's what I meant by that. So now I, But you have assurance when you die, you will see God. So praise God. But no, that's not. Don't let that. That's, that's the enemy. So just receive it for what it is. So how many of you know Jesus conquered death? We don't have fear of death anymore because of him. So we can think about death. Right? We can think about it. I'm going to die one day, naturally, unless the Lord tarries, as they say. Right? If he tarries beyond my 90 to 100 years, uh, this thing, this tent is going to expire. And I will want it to, because I don't want to live to be a thousand. <laughs> this body wasn't made to be a thousand. Right? He set a limit, 120. And how many of you know those last 60 are just, whew, 120, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you don't want to be around for that. All right. Anyways, so we can think about it. Teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. I'm not going to live forever. So in light of eternity, what's what is the wise way to live? And as Pastor Matt talked about last week, that's fear of the Lord to say, I need to get eternity settled. I need to get saved because I can come to church, I can come to church on a Saturday night, I can come on a Sunday morning, I can come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But if I don't know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, if I've never professed faith in him, I will die in my sins and I will go to hell. And 
Those who don't, John 3, 16, whoever believes will be saved, it says, right? Whoever, whoever for God so loved the world. The next few verses, 17, 18, they say, but if anyone does not believe in him, they stand condemned already. Mankind's been condemned since sin. Jesus came to remove our condemnation. So he's a, when we run into him, we're saved. That's the Passover lamb. We run in, he, the, into him, the name of the Lord, and the, his blood is painted over our life and over our household. And so if you're here tonight and you've never said with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, you're not saved yet. The Bible says to do that and get baptized in water. And that's how you become a Christian. It's that simple if you mean it. If you believe in your heart, you say it with your mouth, and you get baptized in water. That's it. And if you, haven't, if you don't have that settled, you need to get that settled. And we will pray with you at the end of this service. We can set up a baptistry tank for tonight, tomorrow, whenever you want to do it. You need to get that settled. Because to be honest with you, living in wisdom and trying to live to the principles of Scripture, as is so popular to pre- preach about today, doesn't matter if you die and go to hell. So we do need to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. But here's the deal. Here's what I want to talk about the rest of our time together. What happens so many, for so many Christians is they have enough fear of God to avoid being damned. But not enough fear of God to draw near. Because we fear him for eternity, but we don't fear him today. We don't fear being away from him today. And that's what he wants. Because he wants to, he's your dad. He wants to hang out with you every day. He wants to talk to you every day. He has us preach hell and judgment for people that are far from him so that they'll come to faith. So they'll come into his house. But once you're in the house, he wants to draw you. He wants to relate. It's like that's off the table. Let's just, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Now let's draw near. Let's have this relationship. That's what he wants. I remember a well-known pastor years ago saying he grew in his relationship with Christ that he no longer considered his actions, activities, or decisions on just a moral right and wrong perspective. But instead, he began to say to himself, I'm, I'm going to avoid anything that steals my affections for Christ. So growing up in the church, if you grew up in the church, it's like if a movie's rated R, it's morally wrong to watch that movie. Then Mel Gibson goes and makes the best movie about Jesus ever, and it's rated R, and we can't watch it, or it's a sin. Wait a second, it's a sin to watch Jesus get crucified? I don't think so, right? We can laugh about it, guys. It's, it's legalism, right? But it's, it's wrong to, it's wrong. We think it's wrong to watch a rated R movie. PG-13's okay. And, and, we, and we, no, this is how we think about it, right? And it's, you know, so if it's that, then I'll watch it. Except there's a whole lot of PG-13 movies that have a lot of stuff in them that just was like, ugh. And it entices us to like that stuff. And you know what that does? It steals your affections for Christ. So this pastor was talking about, I'm going to start making decisions on, is this going to like, make, you know, the next time I go to pray or worship or go to church, make me go, oh, I feel like there's something between us. And it's that movie I watched or it's that book I read. And he's like, I just don't want to play that game anymore. So I'm not going to, it might be PG-13. 
It might not have nudity in it, but man, the whole thing is about adultery. The whole thing is about murder. The whole thing is about, ugh, I, no, gross. Whatever is excellent, praiseworthy, noble, that's what I'm going to think about. And so I remember him saying this, and <sighs> here's what I would propose. That's, good. that's a good way to think. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But a higher level of wisdom requires a higher level of the fear of the Lord. Again, not being afraid of God, being afraid of being away from him. And here's why. That is the essence of covenant. A covenant demands greater honor, reverence, respect, and that's what the fear of God is. So think about it this way. Let's say you're married, if you are, or if you're not, you can imagine that you were, right? So this illustration works for everyone. <laughs> preach. Pray for me. I mean, I'll be like, imagine you're married. Isn't that somebody comes and goes, you said this, I'm not married. What about me? Didn't apply to me. All right. Sorry, I'm getting sarcastic. I said I wasn't going to do that. All right. Pray for me. Pray for me. Let's say you're married. When you were dating, whoever you're married to, when you were dating, let's say it's your first date ever. Let's say you don't even know them. And you say, hey, you want to go grab something to eat? And, like, it's not like this is a date. It's just like, we're just going to grab something to eat. All right? So let's say you go get something to eat. Let's say it was kind of weird. It's kind of awkward, right? One of my, my cousins, he, he met a girl online. They talked for six months, and their first date was a Reds baseball game. I was like, dude, that's a bad move, bro. If you don't like her and if it's awkward, you just picked an event that lasts three hours. And there's no, like, it's not, there's no loud music and movies and all this. Going. It's like a baseball game, all right? I'm like, do you want another hoagie? Because I'll get up and leave again if you want one because this is awkward. Anyways, it worked out. They got married. But anyways... Let's say your first day, you're just like, hey, let's, let's go. So it's awkward. It's, you're not sure how it's going to end. Let's say she, next weekend, goes out with another guy. How do you feel about that? You're probably, if you liked her, you know, you're probably a little frustrated, maybe a little jealous, might be hurt a little bit. But hey, you're not married. That's not even your girlfriend, right? You just said, let's get something to eat. She got something to eat with you. You were kind of weird. She decided to get somebody to eat with somebody else. Fair game, right? Fair game. Because you were just dating. You were just getting something to eat. You weren't married. Now that you're married, let's say next weekend, she decides to go get something to eat with somebody else. Is that different? Just raise your hand if you think that is different. Yeah, that's different. So what's different? What changed? Covenant. When you get married, you make vows, and the traditional vows say something like this, you know, the sickness and in health and all that, and it says, keeping myself only unto him, keeping myself only unto her. So when you're not in covenant, yeah, you can kind of visit and go out to eat with and hang out with whoever whenever you want but when you're in covenant whoa now 
Let's say you're at work and you're married and there's an attractive person of the opposite sex. You're just friends. And they're like, hey, you know, we lunch, we lunch at work. Do you want to go get lunch with me? I'm telling you, there should, should be some fear rise up in you in that moment. And the fear in you should go, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Mm-mm. No, why? Well, it's just lunch, is it? Nobody wakes up and says, today I'm going to cheat on my spouse. How does it start? You start getting intimate with someone of the opposite sex. So you should never be telling someone of the opposite sex things that you wouldn't tell your spouse. You should never speak negatively about your spouse to anybody, honestly, opposite sex or same sex or whatever, unless it's like a friend and you're seeking counsel, something like that. But it better be a same sex friend you're seeking counsel from. Why? Honor, reverence, respect, because anytime that stuff happens, there's a crack in intimacy between you and your spouse. And in that crack, guess who likes to weasel in the cracks of our lives? The devil. And then, he, and that's where temptation can happen. If you keep that level of reverence and respect of being away from your wife or, or nothing coming between the intimacy of you and your wife, I'm telling you, you'll never cheat on your wife. Because you will never give temptation an opportunity. And so when you're on the internet and you, you get on a website you think is good and all of a sudden there's stuff there and you're like, whoa. There should be some fear rise up in you. The, if I click on that, I know what kind of article that is. It's what the older generation calls seedy. <laughs> Just a seedy website. You guys know what I'm saying? That's an old word. That's why I'm making fun of it. Seedy. No? <laughs> Whatever. It just means, it means ne- it's like, ugh, it's not good. It's negative. It's gross, right? Uh-uh. Uh, it's, it's not trustworthy, all right? Seedy. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to win you over. I don't like it. Don't Google it now. Google it after church. It's like, no, there should be some fear rise up in you. What is that fear of being away from your wife, of losing intimacy with her? And men, I'm discipling some men in the room. If you haven't learned this next one. Your hobbies, fishing. Let's talk about the current, the hunting. It's hunting season, right? Hunting. Well, I could go hunting again this weekend. So let's say your buddies call you up. Hey, you want to go hunting again this weekend? What are you going to say? Do you just answer? There should be some fear rise up in you. Good, holy fear. How's, here's a question you need to ask yourself. How's my intimacy with my wife? If we've been ships passing in the night, if we've been super busy lately, if we're not super connected right now, danger, danger, Will Robinson, if you say yes to hunting, she might be like, it's fine. <laughs> it ain't fine. And here's the deal, gentlemen. Preaching to myself right now. You don't get to decide. 
by yourself how close your intimacy is. So you get an invitation to, be, to hunting. It's like, well, it's just our anniversary. You know, I got her that little gift, and, you know, we're good. I haven't been hunting in a long time. I deserve to go hunting. Yeah, guys, I'm coming. And then you talk to her, and she's upset. Well, honey, we've been together every day this week. At the kids' ball games? That doesn't count. Relationship takes two. And so... When you're talking about intimacy, how does each feel about the relationship? It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about you and Jesus. And one of the scary things I've learned about God is he's a person and he has feelings. And you can be saved believer, and you can make him really upset. You can be a saved believer on your way to heaven, and he'll never take that from you. But you can grieve his heart. You can be a saved believer and make him regret that he called you to do something. Did you know that? Genesis 6 says he regretted that he made mankind. Scripture says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And so often we treat God like we're just dating. I want salvation, but I'm actually going to date around still. That's why the whole Testament's full of all these scriptures like you're prostituting yourselves. You're cheating on me. God says. When he says covenant, he means covenant. He means, guys, do we realize what's available to us? He's given himself only unto us. But it requires that we give ourselves only unto him. Only. And so if we ever cheat on him or do something that's a little seedy, a little not right, kind of questionable he's got feelings about it he knows he's got feelings about it can make him pull back and you can sense that and I've been in that place I don't like feeling like God just pulled back from me I don't like it and so when that happens to me I'm like Time to get on my face. <laughs> what do I need to do to get back to where we were? I'll do anything. Please. Please. God is teaching me. That learning, no, loving God is learning to love the fear of God. Loving God means learning to love the fear of being away from him. And so when you feel that, rise up, oh, this might be come between me and him. 
here's a word of advice. People ask me, what about this book? Can I read this book? Is that demonic or not? You know, some of the questions. What about these kind of movies? What about this? What about that? Here's, Here's the deal. When in doubt, throw it out. The fact that you're saying what about to me means you're questioning it. I would say if you could justify it's morally okay to do whatever you're asking me about. The fact that you're asking me tells me you should probably stay away from it because it's probably going to come between you and Jesus somehow. Even if you can justify it's morally an okay thing to do. And sometimes you're not sure, right? Because you have opportunities to do things. Ask him. That's like... The fellas asked me to go hunting. Let me talk to my wife and don't, oh, he's got to talk to his wife. Oh, the old ball and chain. Okay. Whipped. Woo. You know, I know how it is. They don't do that to me anymore. Do you know why? When I was still a teenager dating the woman I'm still married to right now, they would, my friends would do that to me. Hey, man, let's go out this weekend. Let's party. Let's do this. Well, I was going to hang out with, uh, you know, with uh, Erica. Oh, the bowling change. You got you whipped, man. Oh. I know how it is. They don't do that to me anymore. You know why? Because late teenage years after we've been dating a few years, I was honest with them. I go, well, guys, I love her. And I, I like her more than I like you guys. And so... Once we got married, especially like happy wife, happy life. That's true, okay? And so that's biblical, by the way. You guys have heard me say this. Proverbs, it's better to live on a corner of a roof, or there's another verse that says in a desert by yourself, than to live with a nagging wife. That's the word of God saying, if your wife ain't happy, you're not going to be happy. Your life is not going to be good, all right? (laughs) So I was honest with them. I'm like, well, I care I actually love her and I care what she thinks. So I'm going to ask her. You guys can tease me all you want. But I like her better than I like you. And if she, she doesn't want me to go, she wants to spend time with me, I would rather spend time with her. Now, you, the first time, you're going to get made fun of. All right? Let's just call it what it is. You do that four or five times, they shut up. When you're teenagers, yeah, they shut up. Okay, okay, whatever. When you're a man, when you're 20s, when you're 30s, they shut up. And then they start respecting you. And then they start admiring you. And then they go, I wish my marriage was like his marriage. Because they know, they can see it. That is at, they know in their hearts that's actually the right way to live. And I've been being selfish. And I've been putting my hobbies above my covenant relationship with my wife. And I admire that man. And then they start to look up to you. And then you invite them to church. And they say yes. And they come and they give their life to Jesus Christ. Because you said, I'm going to check with my wife over and over again before I just say I'm going to go hunting. And so, Jesus checked with dad on everything. And I know some of you are getting some good stuff for your marriage right now. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about you and Jesus. And that fear that rises up and goes, this might come between me and my wife. That's an extension of the fear of God in your life. Did you know good fear is an extension of the fear of God? There's a cliff. Oh, no. If I get a little too close, I could fall off. And as I get closer, I'm like, did you know 
That's a good holy fear. Why? Because God made gravity. <laughs> and he's giving you free will. And you can step off the cliff, but you're going to die. And so that's a good fear that protects you. It's an extension of the fear of God. We need to learn to love the fear of God. Jesus loved the fear of God so that he, listen, guarded his relationship with the Father above all things. Jesus guarded his relationship with the Father above all things. So when he's speaking and it says, they say, hey, your mother and brothers are here. They've come to get you because they actually think you're out of your mind. Mary, Mother Mary, your mother and brothers, they think you're out of your mind. I think Mary was afraid that he was going to die because she's hearing the reports. So she's given in to fear in that moment. That's what I believe. Regardless, she's, why would Mary, Mother Mary, and the brothers come in to get him? And what does Jesus say? Dad? And Dad tells him the truth. If they're going to come between me and you, they're not acting like your mother and brothers, are they? Who are your mother and brothers? Say it, son. Say it. Who are my mother and brothers? Those that hear and do the will of God. Jesus guarded his relationship with the Father, even from the people closest to him. He guarded that. And so when he gets devastating news that one of his best friends and first cousin, or, well, cousin, I should say, John the Baptist, is beheaded, He's trying to get away to a solitary place so he can grieve. And it says they land and there's a crowd and he has compassion. And he works with the crowd and he does ministry and he serves them. But then he says, all right, guys, you go on ahead of me. And he goes up the mountain by himself right after he finds this. This is what happens, guys. He finds out the news. He says, let's go away to a solitary place. They land on the boat and there's a crowd They minister. He says, go on ahead of me. He goes up the mountain. Why? I believe it's to grieve the death of John the Baptist because the government beheaded him. The same government that's threatening, we're going to kill you. The same government that he prophetically knows will kill him. It says he was tempted in every way just like we are. What would you be tempted to do if you found that out? Maybe get in the boat with your friends and as you're rowing across me, like, I can't believe that they did this to him and start complaining and raging in your spirit against the injustice of what has just happened. And so he finds out this news. What would it be like, church, if when we find out the biggest personal losses of our lives, when we get that devastating phone call, if the first reaction in that moment We don't go, where are you? We go, dad, what is going on? What is going on, dad? And dad says, you need to get away from people right now. Because they're going to tempt you to rage against me. Guard your heart. Guard your relationship with God. And you get alone with dad and you process it. And he gives you wisdom and he gives you comfort and he gives you peace. And then you can step back out and face people. 
Man, what if we live that way? That's how Jesus lived. He guarded his relationship with the Father. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. When you guard something, you're doing it out of fear that something bad could happen to that thing. So parents are guardians for their children. And part of your role as a guardian is to protect them from bad things. And so when they get invited to a sleepover, and you don't know the people that well. I don't even care if they they look like decent people. I don't care if they go to church. If you don't know the people that well, their kids got devices hooked up to the internet. I'm telling you, there should be some, oh, danger, danger, Will Robinson rising up in you. Bad things could happen uh, yeah, no, we're going to say no this time. Sorry, no sleepovers with people we don't know 100% that abuse and things like that are, are not going to happen at your house. Because statistically speaking, that's where those things happen. And being someone who does deliverance and healing prayer sessions all the time with people, being in ministry for 15 years, that's where those things happen. Because parents are like, oh, listen, it's not the 70s. Go out and we rode bikes all day. Yeah, it's not the 70s. There is more. There's an increase of of wickedness. There's an increase of sexual morality because of the prevalence of pornography, which shifted in 1994. There's an increase in demonic activity starting at the end of the 90s across the world. You heard me talking about that in the last series. One out of four, some would say one out of three women have been sexually abused or molested when they were a child. Are you tracking with me? There there should be some fear rising up. It's holy fear. It's fear of the Lord. I'm the parent. If something happens on my watch, that's on me. And so parents, take it seriously. Devices with internet use, take it seriously. Don't hand your kid that loaded gun. Without training them. We don't shelter, we train. We protect and train. We don't, sheltering is, we don't let you do anything and then turn you loose with with zero training, never having a conversation about anything. That's sheltering. We don't shelter, we protect and we train. We protect and from the age of seven, eight years old, we start having conversations. Why? We're starting to train. We're starting to teach in the ways of God and the big bad world that there is and all the things you need to watch out for. And we've talked about a phone for years before you get one. And when you get one, it's got restrictions. You don't have unrestricted internet access. This is how you should parent your kids with phones. And I preach sermons like this, guys, and it breaks my heart. You can ask my wife. We have Christian people who hear these types of statements at church from me, and they walk out of here and go, they say it to me, yeah, well, I just think you're being overprotective. Yeah, well, you're just being sheltered. And some of the same people who have said that to us, guess what happens? We know of specific stories where their kids, boom, fall into that stuff. (sighs) Parents, it's fear of the Lord. You're a guardian over your kids. God is a guardian over you. God is a guardian over us. Psalm 121, verse 5 and verse 7, it says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord will keep you from all 
harm. He will watch over your life. Now our hearts rage and go, wait a second. I see people all the time, good people, bad things happen to them. How is that true? How is that true? The Lord watches over you. He will keep you from all harm and watch over your life. How is that true? Let me ask you a question. Was that person staying under the protection of the Lord at all times? Are you staying under the protection of the Lord at all times? Because here's the deal. When you're near him, you have his protection. Go read Psalm 91. Powerful declaration. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, you will, promise of God, be protected. Are you doing that? Have you said that with your mouth? It says if you say with your mouth, declaration, the Lord is my refuge. Have you done that? Have you said that prayer? Do you live like the Lord's your refuge? Because if you step out into sin, into questionable things, you're stepping outside of the Father's house. You're stepping outside of his protection. He's given you a free will, and it's a wild world, as Cat Stevens used to sing about. It is a wild world. It's a nefarious world. It's a dangerous world. And if you step out from your Father's protection... You should fear what could happen to you because that's the fear of God, the fear of being away from him. God is a guardian over you. So here's the deal. Here's true fear of God. Here's what true fear of God does in you. When you're out in the world, when you're not in this room, when you're not in your prayer closet, you are guarding your heart to protect your intimacy with the Father. But here's the deal. When you come in this room, and when you come in your prayer closet, when you get your Bible out, it's just you and God. When you're in that car, it's just you and God. You're not guarded against him. Because the true fear of God is fear of being away from him. So when you come into his house, into this room, the Father's house, we, need to, we should get to a place where we're able to let down our guard and worship him freely and draw near to him. Somebody told me one time, and I believe it's true, that if people have a problem expressing themselves in worship in public, it's probably because they're not doing it in private. And if you get to the place where you're worshiping him in private, where you're, you have a prayer life, when you get in public, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God will come on you, and you will be bursting and wanting to shout the glory of God, and you will look around and be like, I don't care if they think I'm an idiot. God, I praise you. When I was about 20 years old, we used to play flag football over in Decatur with a bunch of 20-year-old guys, a bunch of my friends, a bunch of heathens they were. And we, we were out there. I used to be heathen with them, and God got me out of it. But I still hung out with them every now and then, and we played flag football. And we were out there one night, and it was like a beautiful fall September evening, amber shades and indigo settings. The sky was just so beautiful. The air was crisp. And we're, I'm like, man, I'm playing football with my friends. And I looked up at the sky, and I was like, this is so beautiful. And I was overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And I knew where it was from. The, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I just went, I stood up. We're getting ready to do a play. And I just stood up and I go, look how beautiful this is. And I was like, praise the Lord. And my football friends were like, uh, yeah, it's a nice day. 
hike, you know? And I just remember I was overwhelmed, and I said, praise the Lord. And I thought, and then I thought, what are you doing? They're going to think you're an idiot. Nobody cared. Just moving on with the day. And I was like, what just happened? I got filled with the Spirit. I couldn't help it because I knew why he saved me. Because in this secret place, one-on-one with him, I had this deep, I love him more than anything. And if that's true, it's gonna, it just comes out sometimes when I'm playing flag football with my friends. How much more when you're at his house? When you're with other people who say that's how they feel about him. That's why I think it's a sin to not put my whole heart into the music we play. Far be it from me to let someone on American Idol to get people to like them sing more passionately than me when I'm singing for him. Far be it from me. I get convicted watching those shows because they do judging and they're like, you know, I can tell you're not putting your heart into it. You should think about a time when you went through something like that emotionally. And then when you sing that song, you should think about that so that you get more into it so that we feel it more. And then people will like you and will applaud and will vote for you and you'll win. And that's it. That's what it is. I get convicted by that. When they actually do that and you're like, mm, I can feel that. Mm, they're feeling that. Wow. We're singing for the king of kings. Are you feeling it? I take this seriously. We don't go through the motions here. Every time. We want to pray for a half an hour every time with the band. Why? <sighs> Not go through the motions. Let's do this thing. Let's really come in. Let's really think about what we're doing. We are singing to Jesus. He, my sins are forgiven. I'm going to spend eternity with him. Wow. I get the same revelation every week. I'm going to heaven. Oh, God. I can't wait to praise you tonight. So when we're out in the world, we need to guard our hearts for God. But when we're in his presence, true fear of God, we let down the guard. We draw near. And we have that intimacy and we enjoy it. And we feel his presence and he feels our presence. We enjoy his presence. He enjoys our presence. <sighs> because Proverbs 14, 27 says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And that right there is where the fountain is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for you. Scripture says when you mistreat your wife, you're mistreating yourself, your own body. You're one with her. Nobody hates themselves, Scripture says. You don't mistreat your own body, do you? Scripture says. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about you and Jesus. We need to have an awe and reverence. We need to Scripture says, find out what pleases the Lord. <laughs> find out what pleases him. He has thoughts and emotions. He's not a machine. It's not a system to figure out. There are some rules and some principles, right? Some guidelines. Just like when you get married, you know, okay, I'm never dating anyone else again. <laughs> okay, all right. Rules and guidelines. Yep. But he's a person. He has feelings. He has thoughts. He has emotions. He cares about the decisions you make. False fear of God causes you to be afraid of drawing near, so you guard your heart when you're at church 
but you don't guard your heart out in the world from the things of the world. That's false fear of God. Oh, I fear God, all right. I'm terrified of him. And when I come to church, I'm super guarded. (laughs) But when I go out in the world, guard comes down. I do whatever I want. That's false fear of God. True fear of God is when I'm out in the world, dad, dad, what do you think? When in doubt, throwing it out. Me and you, me and you, me and you. You're guarding your heart for him. And when you come in his house, guard lets down. Let's worship God. I can't wait to draw near. I can't wait to draw near. When you read your Bible at home, when you, it's your time with God, you let the guard come down. You let him speak. I feel, but I feel like there's something between us, and I'm afraid of what he'll think. If that's false fear of God, and if you listen to that fear, it will push you away from him. You'll get further and further, and whatever's between you and him, it will get bigger and bigger. And you guys have heard me say about that meme, Religion says, oh no, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. The, fear, the true fear of God says, oh no, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Because even if he's upset with me, he will help me figure this out. When I was in high school, I had a little red sports car, Toyota Celica, two-door sports car. We called it a red lightning it was old at the time, and the clear coat was faded. It was more like pink lightning, <laughs> but it, <laughs> we called it red lightning, me and my friends. And I wrecked my first wreck ever. I was 16. I was following the school bus, and I, I, it was raining, and I hydroplaned, and I hit a guardrail. And I, it wasn't my, truly wasn't my fault. But I was, you know, it bent the fender in, and I, it was, I limped the car. It was hitting the wheel the whole time. It was like rubbing on the wheel the whole time, but I limped the car to school. And I went in, I was like, told the, in the office, I was like, Phew. and I'm thinking the whole time, like, my dad is going to kill me. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, man, I had a wreck. Oh, no. And it's scary when you're in a wreck. I'm like, my dad's going to kill me. But I got to tell him, you know, he's going to know. I can't hide it from him. <laughs> so I go in the office, and I'm like, I, I had a wreck on the way to school. My car's messed up. I need to call my parents. And they're like, all right. So I call him, and uh I forget how now, but they had found out. I think somebody had seen me, and, um, you know, somehow they found out. Maybe one of my siblings. I don't remember, but they knew. And I called, and I talked to my mom, and she was there. And I said, I wrecked on the way to school, and I was like, the car's messed up. And I'm thinking, here it is. The car's messed up. And she goes, yeah, we know. And she said, your dad says. And I thought, here it comes. You know, you're working all summer to pay this off. You know, your dad says. Is he okay? When you mess up in life, God the Father wants you to tell him he he already knows. What if, church? When you bring it to him, God, Dad, you already know there's something between us. Been gone for a while, been drifting. There's this. Here we go. Just send, let's just send me to hell now. Let's just get this over with. What if his heart and his response to you is, oh, that happened, huh? Are you okay? How you doing? Hmm. What'd you learn from that? 
hey, let's take these steps so we can move forward from this. He's a good dad. He loves you. There's no reason to fear him when you know him. It's a fear of being away from him. And even if you've done something that comes between you and him, he's the one to help you fix it. He's the only one. There's no one else. So, I asked you what your greatest fear was. Maybe your greatest fear is dealing with that thing that comes between you and him, with him. If you will fear being away from him more than that, he will deliver you from that fear. He will deliver you from that thing. Scripture says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. He just totally takes it away. And he restores this. That's why Jesus died on the cross. While you were still a sinner, he did that for you before you ever wanted to please him. How much more now that you know him, if you'll trust him. What if your greatest fear was being away from him today? Let's pray. Lord, I confess to you tonight that that right there is not always my greatest fear. Sometimes I fear in greater ways, but what if I don't get to do what I want to do? Sometimes I fear bad things happening to me. Sometimes I fear losing people close to me more than that, God. And I just confess that, that that is not always my greatest fear. And I have a feeling that most people in this room here tonight feel the same way. I have a feeling most people here tonight would agree that they want that to be their greatest fear. So that we can fear nothing else. So we can have a close relationship with you. So that we can be your friend. That we can be God's friends. There's nothing greater than that, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray right now for the people in this room. (sighs) That you would impart holy fear. That you would increase holy fear of God in this place and in our church. I pray that that would be the greatest fear of Free People Church. Is being away from you today of drifting away from you today, even moment by moment. And I pray the longer we walk with you, the longer we know you, the more that fear would increase in our life and it would keep us so very close to you. So I just ask you right now, church, if you agree with that, if you want that in your life, just put your hands out in a receiving position and just say this prayer. We're going to say a short, simple prayer. To ask God to increase your fear of God. That's it. That's it. If you want that, if you want a close relationship with him, just pray that with me. Just say this with me. Repeat after me. 
Jesus, increase my fear of you. Help me to fear being away from you every day. And God, I give you permission when I'm drifting or when I'm wandering or when I'm curious in a bad way about sin or temptation to remind me of that fear and let it rise up in my heart like a warning (laughs) that's calling me back to you. And I would remember this moment and I would come running in Jesus' name. All right, I'm going to pray for you. God, I just break off every fear in this room that's not of you. And I command fear that's not of God to leave now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' name. I command the false fear of God to leave now in Jesus' name. Any veil or temptation of the enemy, any stronghold of fear that causes people to fear giving their life to Christ, the one who loves them, the one who bought them, the one who will always love them, the one who will only respond with tenderness and compassion and kindness when they come to him, when they confess, when they repent. He's so good and gracious. I command that fear to leave now in Jesus' name. I break it off of this church. I break it off of these people. I break it off of this community. I break it off of this region. And I command the counterfeit demonic spirit of God, uh, fear of God to leave now in Jesus' name. I bring the blood of Jesus against the counterfeit fear of God over this whole region, over this whole region. And I pray for true, holy fear of God to increase in every single church across this region. I pray for an increase in the holy fear of God over the pastors of this region, over the churches of this region, over the body of Christ who aren't even going to church right now. I pray the fear of God incites them and they get back in church. And I just pray this fear of God increases, 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 increases God. We need a fear of God in this country again. We need a fear of God in the body of Christ again. We love you, God. We reverence you and we're so grateful for salvation. But God, I pray it's no more this buddy-buddy, joking around, Jesus is my homeboy type of, of, of culture that treats you as if you're just a buddy who paid a debt, but now I'm going to live however I want. You are worth so much more than that, God. And I am sorry, God. We are sorry for any way we've irreverenced you and treated you that way. We repent. We repent. We turn from any irreverence we've ever had towards this house, towards the worship service, towards entering into worship and communion with you. Any irreverence we've had towards prayer, God. Any unbelief. We don't even believe you, God, to, to want to pray. We don't even believe God loves me so much and the Father cares so much. He'll heal this. He'll set me free from it. Let's pray. God, forgive us for our unbelief. God, for not trusting you, that you're, that you're not good enough to do that, that you're not loving enough. Forgive us when we have this spirit like the leper that says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And you're up there going, I am willing, but my people have not because they ask not. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for not trusting how good you are that would make us want to run to you and to draw near. God, eradicate the prodigal son mindset that's rehearsing the speech as they come to church. Oh, I'm such a sinner. 
but if I confess it, he might let me back in. It's like I was saved, but then I backslid, and man, I did some horrible stuff, and I'm probably the worst, but I have no other choice. I don't want to go to hell. I guess I'm going to go back, and I'm going to rehearse this speech, and we just eradicate that God in Jesus' name because you run to them at that front door through our greeters. Father God steps in and, and just possesses our greeters out there. It's like, hey, how are you? We're so glad you're back. I'm just glad you're here. There's someone here tonight. God's just glad you're here tonight. He's just overjoyed. He doesn't care that you haven't been living for him. He's not upset. He's just happy you're back. And he wants your heart. And he wants you to trust him. And he wants you to give your life to him. Tonight is the night, he says. Stop messing around. He loves you. He's glad you're back. Oh, and he wants to put a robe around you, put a ring on your finger. He wants to kill a fattened calf and have a party for you. Because my son was dead and he's alive again. He's back. God loves you so much. If that's you. God loves you. I'm speaking to that person. God loves you so much. He loves you. And it's time to give your heart to him. (laughs) He's so good. So God, we thank you for your salvation tonight. (sighs) Thank you for your grace, God. I thank you that, you know, David says, don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. (laughs) And I thank you that you don't. Your calling and gifts are irrevocable. The Spirit is a seal. You've been sealed for the day of redemption. So I thank you for sealing these people. God says stop questioning it. You've been sealed. Put your helmet of salvation back on. You took the helmet off so the enemy makes you think you've lost your salvation every time you stumble. Put your helmet back on, God says. You've been sealed. It's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Oh, the Father's zealous over us tonight. He loves us so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, if you want the fear of the God back, fear of God back, you need to repent. Whatever's between you and him tonight, you need to repent. You need to repent. I don't want you to mistake me. I don't want you to think it's a feel good. He just loves you so you're, you're near to him. No, no, no. If there's something between you, you need to repent. You need to confess it to him. I don't care if you come up, make this stage an altar. You don't need to pray with someone else. You can if you want, but you need to do business with him. Don't leave here. We sang at the beginning that we're never going to be the same. We're, we're forever changed. We're never going to be the same. We sang in that first song. I'm not leaving here unchanged. That's a choice you make. If you open your heart to God, if you do business with him tonight, you will leave different. You will, live, you will leave near him if you confess and get out whatever's coming between you. And that's his invitation. It's, he says it's always available. It's available right now. It's available when you get in your car. It's available when you get home. As Ellen so beautifully shared, you just cry out to him. And I, this is for someone else in this room tonight. There's someone else that needs to hear this. When you get in a hard moment in your life, you cry out to God. 
and he will meet you. He will come running. So we thank you, God, that you come running. My heart says, if you seek his face, your, your face, Lord, I will seek. And I thank you, God, that invitation, because your face is always turned towards us. You never look away. And so the moment we cry out to you, the moment we turn to you, boom, there you are. You're just waiting. And you, you say, all day long, I held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He's holding out his hands. He's running to you. His face is turned towards you. Can a mother forget the newborn at her breast? I've engraved you on the palms of my hands, God says. He's engraved you. The scars of Jesus testify. He has engraved you in the palms of his hands. How could he forget you when your redemption cost him so much? And he paid for your sin whether you take it up or not. How could he forget about you? He's always looking towards you. He's got his hands out. Your, your name is engraved. Your sins were paid for by the palms of his hands. Those nails from that cross. How could he forget you? He loves you. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Confess, repent, come to him tonight. And you will leave near him. And you will leave with a fear of being away from him. And renewed passion and renewed vigor to do so every single day. You'll wake up tomorrow and be like, I got to get in the word. I don't want to be away from him today. I got to get in the word. I got to get up earlier before I get in the car. And you know what? When I'm in the car, I'm putting the Bible on because I can't be away from him anymore. So we thank you for that tonight, God. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit convicting. Holy Spirit drawing. Holy Spirit wooing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you just come and fill us now? And I felt like the Lord in our prayer time before, he wanted to fill some people with the Spirit tonight. (sighs) But you got to repent of being far from him. You got to repent of fearing other things. You got to repent of idolizing other things in life that are drawing you away from him. And if you'll repent of those and you'll give it up, he will draw near, he will draw fearfully near and he'll fill you with his spirit and you won't want to stray you won't want to be apart so God I just ask for that tonight in Jesus mighty name